I was hard pressed to name it. It was an underlying syndrome of sorts that permeates my very being. It operates like a drone, a dull droning sound, always present, that most of the time is drowned out by my higher pitches of optimism and hope. I now know it to be black fatigue. This is the Inclusion Solution Live, the Winters Group podcast for all things diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. My name is Mary Frances Winters, and I will be your host for this series where we will explore the many layers of Black fatigue. So, Tremaine, welcome, 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 welcome to Inclusion Solution Live. I am so glad that you were able to join me today for this conversation. I know that um, you have had your journey as a Black man, your journey as an openly gay Black man, and we want to dive in and delve into all of that today and hear your story. Tremaine, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. I'm going to first ask you, um, just tell us about yourself, you know, who you be, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, yes, like you said, Tremaine Best, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm originally from the South, originally from Miami, Florida, uh, born and raised, um, and have lived out West for quite some time. Now I've been over 10 years. I've had the privilege of living in quite a few different places, though. And so... um, my journey, my diversity journey is very interesting. So I, I didn't come out until I would say later um, in my, my years. Uh, but I remember after being with this one company for 10 years, I decided that I, um, it, was, it was time. Uh, and so I remember going to my boss and actually saying, hey, I, I think I'm gonna leave this job. I'm gonna give you my notice uh, because I'm moving to California uh, to be with my partner. And I remember that manager was like extremely in shock and, and offered me an opportunity to stay with the company and then relocated me out here. And so uh, kind of the rest is, is history. But, you know, interestingly enough, I would say it was during my time um, when I was at the Gap, I was the president of the employee resource group there. And it wasn't until that experience where I felt like it was my obligation uh, to reach to the side of me, reach in front of me, reach in back of me, and to, um, to bring people along the way, bring people along the way that looked like me. Um, I was so focused on me and my role and doing a great job for the company. And in that role, somehow I started to morph into being a mentor for others. And I didn't even know that that was going to be my role. Um, or my responsibility, and that somehow just triggered something in me, um, and, and my trajectory just kind of changed in a different way. Um, and so fast forwarding to my experience today, I'm the director of HR um, at Splunk Inc. today. Um, and in the tech space, I would say it's quite different. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of differences. For one is today I experience being the only. So the only visibly, you know, person of color, right? But then the only 
male in HR, in the HR space, uh, the only gay black male, um, but it's on top of the only, um, and it's been since April, May, extremely exhausting, <laughs> extremely exhausting. Um, so it's been a struggle um, because I am, um, for me, I, I try to maintain and be very authentic to Tremaine. Uh, so my authenticity is one of the things that I would say um, uh, represents who I am. And so when I waver or move away from that authenticity, um, you don't get the best of me. But trying to be authentic in the middle of a pandemic, right, in the middle of this uh, social injustice that's, that's going around, it's, it's just exhausting. Uh, so you're, you're trying to be a teacher um, uh, you're, you're trying to make, try to be, trying to maintain trueness and authenticity, authenticity to who you are um, yourself. And then there's there's the gay aspect as well. That's that's on top of that. It's been it's been a lot, and it's been a, a somewhat of a struggle. I think the other the other lesson that I've learned um, throughout this is um, clearly uh, being a part of like an employee resource group where there's different dynamics. I'm a little bit older than some of our others in our employee resource groups, and, and clearly we're not all alike. So um, what one, one lesson that I've learned is I don't mind being questioned um, and asking people asking me questions and me teaching. Um, it's been clear that some of our other demographics, uh, African-Americans, that, that is, that's an issue. They want you to educate yourself and do your own learnings. I'm just of a diff different generation. I don't mind that, but it has been exhausting um, as well. Yeah. So that, that was one of the reasons that I actually wrote the book, because I was hearing from millennials that um, we're exhausted and we don't want to teach white people what it's like to live while black and all of the microaggressions and just the daily, uh, the daily concerns about our safety and all of those kinds of things. And they're saying, it's not our job to teach white people that we're exhausted. And I would say, you know, you're only 35 years old. How can you be exhausted? And they would say, give me a side eye, I'd say, yes, we're exhausted. And so, so you're just kind of seeing that same thing, that um, the reluctance to, to, you know, to be the teacher, right? Yeah, so I wanted to ask you, um, I go back to something that you said, and you said when you were working at this one uh, job, I think you said you've been there for 10 years and you decided that it's time for, for me to come out. What, 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 tell us about that. What, what was the emotional toll perhaps about making that decision? And, you know, just in, in coming up and, you know, throughout your, the course of your life, um, how has being a, you know, black gay male, what, what are some of the struggles emotionally um, that you've had to, uh, race? And how did you decide, you know, to come out? Why then? Well, you know, I think one, to just kind of start off, there's, I'm in a family of all males. So my mother has five boys. So I have four other brothers and that I know of none of, all of, all are heterosexual, um, except mm -hmm. for me, right? And so there's always this thing of masculinity, you know, femininity. My mother is, a uh, my mother's you know, born and raised in Miami, Florida from the streets. So she's a hardcore mother. She's not a dainty, um, you know, female, if you will, but my mother's a, a, she's feminine and she's, she's, she's a mother, but she's, she's a hardcore black mother. Right. And so it was, 
just this whole masculine being born and raised in the ghetto as male as well this this whole i have to be masculine um that that's always weighed like on me right and and it's always kind of impeded on who you are as a person you can't show this you can't be this now mm. and, and and so being gay there's all different spectrums of gay um no, i don't none none no none is like not lesser than the other but there are different spectrums as well. And so for me, that's always been in the back of my head. Like, um, do I have to be a certain way? Um, but, but I noticed that I am gay, um, but I still, I think I have this, this masculinity as well. And this, so that, that masculinity thing has just always kind of played with me in a way. Um, but during my professional experiences, I've relocated probably 10 to 12 times. And mm. some of the places, uh, just weren't safe to be who you really were. So just to be blunt, I've lived in places like Tennessee. I've lived in Georgia. I've lived in uh, Ohio. I've lived in Arkansas, and some of those places. And 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 I don't mean in the larger cities within those states. It's some of the smaller um, cities where the demographic uh, is not great. It's definitely not diverse. And so there was a safety aspect to why I never felt comfortable truly being who I was as a professional in my early years because I was in locations where it it was already I was black that was that was already enough to deal with uh, so just kind of being boisterous about this other piece I was just too many pieces to, to deal with and I was at a stage in, in my life where I, I'm not sure if I was ready to deal with that in those type of places um, right so um, that's that's uh, one big thing, um, and then I think once once I got to to California, California is just one of these places where you can just, especially the Bay Area, where it truly allows you to be who you are, um, and in and your gayness is not necessarily a big factor. And it that message was great for me, and maybe not for some other people, but I've never always wanted to lead with me being gay, I wanted, I'm a black man first, like in my opinion, the gayness is a, a, an additional part of that. Um, but I'm a, I'm a black man first. Uh, and so that's just always how I've been wired. My mother just kind of reared, reared me that way. Um, and I always wanted to just leave with that piece. And so I think being in the Bay Area has allowed me to soak that up in a different way and make me more comfortable with who I am um and able enough and it was also age right um i have been working mm -hmm. for this company 10 years i was 10 years younger my values changed mm -hmm. um, i changed as a person i evolved and so mm -hmm. 10 years after that i just felt more comfortable because i felt comfortable with who i was mm -hmm. as a person to do yeah that's so important right feeling comfortable with with who you are that's right um, because that can lessen and alleviate or even eliminate the black fatigue, right? When once you're comfortable with who you are, because I was hearing about you know the the struggle of um, you know being a black man. That's that's all, being black. So you're black, <laughs> you know, the black man because the stereotypes that this um, society still has about black men. I talk about this in the book too. I have a whole chapter on um, on uh, the black black men's um, black fatigue, if you will. And I do. I also have a chapter on the layers of black fatigue where I talk about the compounding fatigue from having to 
live with and be a, and having identities, multiple identities that are stigmatized. Yes. So you have multiple identities that are stigmatized. And one of the things I say in the book about black you know, men is men in general, we don't think of men as having, you know, a stigmatized identity. You know, men have been in the dominant, right? But you put black on top of that and that immediately, you know, negates that, right? And then you put gay on top of that. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, I'm sure it's been a really, you know, interesting journey for you. When would you say you were most fatigued, you know, that, that managing and navigating and living with these multiple identities? When in your life were you most fatigued by that? I would say most fatigue. So it's interesting, two points in my career, probably within the last six months has been probably the most fatigue I've ever experienced. And then my time of like making that decision to come out. So mm -hmm. roughly, you know, when I was in my thirties, um, mm -hmm. which was some time ago, but, <laughs> but, but in my, my early thirties, that was a period of, of fatigue because that was just a process. I think one, one um, point in your book where you, this piece, I think you talk about that, show me some respect. Mm -hmm. It really resonates with me. Um, and I think just being reared from like a down South um, culture where respect for me is, is key. And so I think that always played in it, not losing respect from people because of who mm -hmm. I was, was always something that played in the back of my mind. Um, I could deal with a lot, but if you disrespect me, um, my the way that I react to that um, may or may not be be good, just depending on the <laughs> level of your disrespect. And mm -hmm. so I've always, that respect piece has always been key for me. I have to have respect. It's a, it's a non-negotiable, if you will. Um, but that piece of respect has always played into like, if I was going to come out, if I was going to be truly who I, I, I am, um, because I, I need that level of respect. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the respect, um, you know, again, the stigmatized identity, you, you could possibly be disrespected because you're, you know, a black man, you could be disrespected because you're gay. So again, the compounding, the exactly. compounding of, of that. So you said that um, you've probably been the most fatigued in the last um, six months. Is that because of what's been going on in our, our country? Absolutely. It's, um, it is what's going on in our country. I mean, it's, it's so, um, for me, like I said, I kind of take on a lot of responsibility. And what I don't want is if, if there's an opportunity for me to help somebody, to teach somebody or to learn from someone, especially in my company, my organization, where they don't have to be the next Karen that shows up on the seven o'clock news. Um, I take on some of that responsibility mm -hmm. sometimes. And so I've tried to educate in a different way. I've been asked a number of questions, which I don't mind. I've opened myself up, but it just takes a lot. Also educating um, the leaders within our corporation of like how the most ideal recommended way of how do you respond to this? What things should we be doing? Here are some things that we should not be doing. Like in a, in a intentional strategic type of way, when you are one of the only uh, black leaders, you, you're being leaned on to, to step up or maybe educate or learn and grow in a different way. Um, on top of your job, right? Um, and so it's just, and then you're processing what's going on. 
yourself because mm. what we're experiencing is we haven't experienced before in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's another exhausting piece. I think the pandemic, the scientific pandemic is already um, exhausting in its right? Mm-hmm. And then this social injustice pandemic is, is just on top of that. So it's, it's, it's heightened um, mm-hmm. awareness. So. so how do you, how do you best manage the, the fatigue? So what I'm hearing you say is that your own personal fatigue from, you know, what you're experiencing as a Black man going through this, the racial um, injustice, what you're experiencing as a Black male professional in an organization that looks to you because you're one of a few, I think you say you're the only Black person in leadership, right? So they're looking to you for leadership, for guidance about, you know, the issues um, that Black people, you know, are having. Um, So I can really hear and understand how that can be fatiguing. It's the extra toll. It's the extra, you know, burden. So we're already burdened, all, everybody, whether you're black, white, whatever color you are, burdened because of the pandemic. And now we're um, piling on these other, these other um, concerns, tragedies, you know, um, issues, problems, whatever you want to call them, we're piling all of that on. So what do you do? What do you do to manage that? I think for, so a few things. One is I am lucky that I work in the industry. So HR, um, is very connected to diversity and inclusion. And, and what I've just realized in the last 30 days or so is I actually get energy from these type of conversations. So, so I'm not drained uh, from, from diversity, equity, inclusion type conversations, although it may be more work. Um, interestingly enough, I get energy from it. I'm, I'm not, it doesn't deplete me. The pandemic mm-hmm. And other things, that's depleting. So that that's 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 exhausting. So although all this plays in, plays into exhaustion uh, from a degree, what I try to do is just keep balance. There are certain things, and understand that I can't control everything. I can't control mm-hmm. every person, everybody's ideas and philosophies, and all of that stuff. Um, and I try to when I try to um, just think of balance. Um, I think for me, like, I know when I need to take a break, right? Mm-hmm. I know when I need to sign off. Um, I know when I need to block my schedule. Uh, one thing that I've done is, like, try to create one schedule as opposed to two schedules. Like, um, I have my personal life. I have things that I volunteer for. I have things that I might be on the board for. And so, and I have my work schedule. So I try to just combine those into one schedule, not two. And that's actually really helped. Um, as opposed to trying to manage two schedules because I was trying to do that at the start of the pandemic and it was not helping. <laughs> it was not helping at all. Um, the other thing that is helping is exercising my, um, I would say exercising my exhaustion. And then so an example is um, I was able uh, with, with a few other people to organize an equality walk. And I found that very therapeutic. Like, mm-hmm. although it was work, it was something about it was therapeutic where I felt like I was doing something for the cause. Um, and I was getting out of the house. So it was, it was like allowing me two things from a pandemic standpoint. I was getting out of the house, getting some fresh air, but I was also acting um, mm-hmm. in a way. 
Um, so those are just kind of a few things that I do. I'm also, you might know that I used to sing in a professional life. And so for me, singing is therapeutic. I posted some videos online. And so it's just, that's oh, you have to tell You'll have to tell the, uh, our listeners where you can find those videos. Are they on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> I think I have one video out on um on YouTube. You can look me up at Tremaine Best. Just pull up my name. I'm quite sure one or two of those videos will come up. Oh, that would be yeah, that would be that would be great um, for our listeners to see another another part of you. So it sounds like what you're saying is you set boundaries, which I is I think important for um, to manage you know black fatigue. I think that's that's really really key. Um, so I want to go back in time um, a little bit. Uh, when did you um, come out to your family, or did how did how was that? Um, how did that go? <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So I want to say late twenties, early thirties. Um, I decided to come out to my mother. So for me, it was my mother. Once I came out to her, the rest was going to be easy. Um, and so I was living, I forget where I was living at the time, maybe Arizona, one of the places. And I had a trip home for, for the Christmas uh, holiday. And on my last day there, I just, I told my mother, I just, I kind of told her and, and, um, and I left and she was really quiet. I don't actually think we spoke for about two to three weeks, which for us is a long time. So we talk every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And what I needed to allow for her is a space to just process it. So I didn't, I didn't want to call. If she wasn't calling, I wasn't trying to like call her and like really explain further. I just wanted her to deal with it. And in three weeks we called and slowly we just kind of started to talk and talk. And it was, we, we got back to normal really quick. Um, now doing that, my mother, she wanted to ask some questions and I had to set some boundaries for her. And I said, well, when I was, um, let's say, straight, um, <laughs> you didn't ask me any of these questions. So for me, you can't ask any, you can't ask me any question that you didn't ask when I was so-called straight. And I left it there. That was the boundary that I set with my mother. I just didn't want to have certain conversations because I was an adult. I just didn't want to go mm-hmm. into other conversations. And, and that's it. And now we talk every day, uh, just like we used to <laughs> multiple times a day. Uh, but that's when I decided to, it just, I think the older I get, the less patient I get. And I just, I was living a lie. I had to remember some of the lies that I told or it just. And that was fatiguing, I'm sure too, right? Living that was fatiguing in its own, <laughs> in its right. own right. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't keep up with that. It was just not a way to that I choose to continue mm-hmm. to remember all of these different lies or, and mm-hmm. say, and the other thing that I actually felt, I, I met someone and I felt like my mother was gonna miss out on a huge part of my life. My family mm-hmm. was gonna miss out on a huge mm-hmm. part of my life. Uh, so, so that's, that's just, that's it. And your brothers? My, so my brothers, this is how my mother worked. I knew if I told my mother, she was going to tell everybody else. Right. So that it was it was strategic. I knew that uh, she would do it. That's just how she she operates. Uh, my brother, my older brother, I did tell personally. Um, he came to San Francisco was visiting, and I, he already kind of knew, um, okay. but I just officially uh, mm-hmm. told him, and, and and it was fine for the most. 
for the most part, it was fine. Mm -hmm. My brothers are, we're, we're all quite different, though. Okay. Like, all quite different. Okay. Yeah, so, so I talk about, in my book, I talk about, um, I don't know if you've read Chapter 5 yet, but I talk about my Uncle Don. Yes. Yeah, you, you read about Uncle Don, yeah. And, yes. You know, he came up in a time where, and, and I think this is still the case, perhaps, um, to some extent in the Black community, where um, homosexuality, I think the Black community just has this very um, complex, you know, pr perspective. And I just, it's just a perplexed kind of way of um, addressing. But back then, you know, that was in the, you know, late 50s, early 60s. And, um, you know, the only person that he could really um, connect with, because my mother accepted, was my mother. He would show up, you know, he was from Canada, he would show up. But when he found out that he was adopted at 16, you know, that, that was just too much for him and he, you know, he ran off. And that's what they said. But I don't know if it was really because he came out, right? And so I just watched him, not knowing, you know, everything, just watched him, you know, become an alcoholic and you know, have all sorts of, you know, just get in trouble with the law and just all sorts of, and now that I think about it, now that I'm, you know, much more, more knowledgeable, you know, just trying to be who he was yes. in a world that would not accept him because he was black and would not accept him because he's gay. Yes. Yeah, I just, and he died young, you know, he was an alcoholic. He did find somebody, he, he and Tony, they lived in Toronto, you know, Canada, and I would, um, we would visit them and Tony was a chef and I was, I was a kid and it was the best time because, you know, we had all this great food, but the only people who would visit him would my, my parents and, you know, his other brothers and sisters, you know, they wouldn't, but, and so I don't know if you have, so for you, that hasn't been, you know, that hasn't been an issue because you've been accepted, but what, I don't know if you have people in, in your circle or that you know, who still um, have to, not be who they are, who still have not, who are still in the closet, um, and what that, how that emotion builds and, and just keeps the fatigue. Yeah, I think, so even though I've come out, it's been years, it's still a level of, you still, it, there's a, there's a, there's a uh, maneuvering, right? There's posturing mm -hmm. that still occurs. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell us about that. Yeah, tell us. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so an example is I, I remember when my mother was dating this guy, um, and this is maybe this is years ago, and I remember being in the house, and and somehow this guy and his sister were over, and they were talking about this other guy that was mm -hmm. gay. Mm -hmm. And they just went on and on and on, and I had had enough. And so this was around the Thanksgiving holidays, and I had just went out and purchased all of this food <laughs> for the family. And I was so pissed, like I got to a point, and I had to say, look, this, this food that you're about to scarf down was purchased by a gay man. So... Like once I made that statement, and this is in a place where everybody's like, it was, everybody's pretty, they're black, it's the religious, you know, mm -hmm. they had this religious thing going to the church, everybody, these people went to church and all mm -hmm. of this, that's fine. Um, I, 
I had to like just say something because I was just being agitated by the minute, agitated mm -hmm. by the minute, because they didn't know they weren't they weren't aware of who I was. I never they didn't know. If I didn't come home, this place where my mother lived was probably not a place where you would just be openly say, "Hey, Tremaine, I'm Tremaine and I'm gay." Um, <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't like put myself back in the closet, but I wasn't totally like living this. You know, no one I didn't make it so evident. Right. Um, but I had to say that to them to get them to understand, like the way that they were talking about gay people, it's like we were monsters or something. Um, and so um, I had to say it in a, a meaningful type way where it wasn't going to put my mother in a bad place, too, because she still had to live there. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and see some of these people. Um, and because I'm an HR, I kind of know how to do that. Um, but there is still, there's still a level of posturing. When I go visit my mother now, she lives in Miami. Um, I don't go back home and like, I'm Tremaine and I'm gay. Like, because some of her friends around, some of them know, and some of them don't know. Now, what I won't do anymore is I'm not lying anymore. Mm -hmm. And so if, if someone's talking about their husband or their wife, I might talk about my partner. Mm -hmm. I'm, but I'm not going to make up a story and say, oh, my girlfriend, such mm -hmm. and such and such. That's just not, I'm not wired like that. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a level of posturing that I, I still find myself doing. Um, but it's in a way that I'm comfortable with. I, I say this at work. Um, everybody talks about this, bring your whole self to work. Like, <laughs> and I say to people, like, I don't know if you want Tremaine to bring 100% of him to work because mm -hmm. you may not be ready for 100%. I'm fine with 85 or 90%. If, now, if I have to alter, if it's 50-50, that's not a good mix. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that's, just, that's just me at the face mm -hmm. of my man. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, sounds like the posturing can still be somewhat fatiguing. because. It can. You're not able, yeah. Um, I was, I was, I just wanted to know the end of that story. Um, how did the your mother's guests? How did they react when you said that? Uh, in shock. <laughs> <laughs> but did they stay? Did they stay? They did. They stayed. It was incomplete shock. They stayed. I think it was a, a teachable moment. They responded in the right way. Nobody got belligerent. They just said, "Hey." They actually apologized. They like, oh, they did. Okay. No, um, and it was a thing, and, and I didn't want to like just go out and say it. And so we we talked. We had a good conversation. Um, I don't know what they said behind closed doors, but in front of me, they responded. You know, like in the in the right way. But I think sometimes that's um, that's what it's about. They sometimes everybody in the black community sometimes it's this whole masculine feminine thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what they're looking for. If they don't mm -hmm. see, uh, you know, what, what right. they think gay is, then mm -hmm. they just assume everybody's straight then, you know. Right. You know. And yeah. so that just wasn't the case with, with me, but I just felt mm -hmm. like I needed to say something. You mentioned um, a spectrum, a, a spectrum of being gay. So tell, tell us more about that. What do you, what do you mean by that? <sighs> Yes, there's mm -hmm. a, I mean, just like we know, there's a spectrum of blackness, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I live today in the Oakland Hills, right? Which is a, um, a, a great zip code, I would say, to live in. But I recognize that. I recognize that I don't live in West Oakland or East Oakland, and not that those are bad places, but there is a perception 
that comes along um, mm -hmm. with tell people like, oh, I'm from West Oakland. It's like, I'm from Liberty City, Florida, Miami, mm -hmm. which is like in that area, it's like, okay, oh, you, you're a homeboy then. Right. But I know that I'm far removed from that and I have been far removed from that and I don't live that. Now I have lived it, so mm -hmm. I can relate, I, but I do recognize that I don't live it today, nor did I live it yesterday. It's the same thing with being gay, right? Um, for me, the masculine feminine thing is, is a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we know that, that that's a spectrum. Um, I am, I would say I'm like, I, want, I don't know if there's a name for it. Uh, I'm just your everyday black, you know, guy. I don't think I, I'm totally macho heterosexual. I don't think I'm uh, totally feminine either. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's this like spectrum that I think I fit into uh, mm -hmm. the gayness, if you will. Um, and so some people think that that comes with, you know, something and some people think it doesn't. And so for me, I, I know and I'm aware of that, um, but I am who I am. So I just try to stick to who I am and, and not waver. But I know that there is a spectrum uh, from a gay and a blackness standpoint, mm -hmm. right? Even, even the blackness, um, you know, in certain communities, if you go off to school and get a degree, um, that's considered like your sellout almost. Like, mm. um, and so, you know, it is what it is, but, mm. um, but, I, but I'm aware that's for right. sure. Right. And so, I, and, and, and my brothers, just the respect, I think for me, that's why the, the show me the respect piece really sticks with me. I never want to, um, I'm not like, I, I wouldn't be like a great, like, you know, the Bible pusher, like everybody's trying to like push mm -hmm. a certain agenda. I'm not, I don't have like a gay agenda that I'm trying to push. So mm -hmm. and with my family, with my brothers, I still like going out and hanging with my brothers. So my brothers are all heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to heterosexual clubs and they're going to, and I don't want to, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. so you just, you do these things. Uh, to just, you know, not, not really accommodate, but just uh, to show some level of respect. Uh, mm -hmm. right? um, and so I just, I don't like putting people in situations where I'm not sure how they're going to react or respond. So I'm always, if I have someone coming to my house that may or not be aware, I'll say to them, you should be aware that I have a partner or that I'm openly out or X, mm -hmm. Y, and Z kids. They may say fine, right. or they may say, "Oh, you know, you know, thanks for letting me know. Um, I'm I'm changing my mind now. I don't, you know, but that's that's not my thing, and that's that's happened to me. And mm -hmm. but that's why I do them, just to make sure that people are. I don't want to. I don't want to shock. I'm even shock value. Um, right. It's it's the respect piece. What's interesting though, in terms of what you're talking about, is that um, heterosexual people don't have to say. Gee, I, I just want to let you know you're going to come to my house. I just want to let you know that, that I'm heterosexual. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's, that, you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah, you're I mean, right. yeah. And so, again, that's an extra, an extra. Extra layer. Extra layer. You, at least, and, and you obviously are, man, you manage it. You know, you are who you are. You're, you're, you're very comfortable with who you are. Uh, but I can, I could see that people like my Uncle Don, you know, who wasn't comfortable how that fatigue 
but just lead to depression, can lead to other kinds of, you know, physical and mental kinds of um, situations and ailments, uh, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it does. It, it does. I think you have to be aware because I think one thing that I've noticed about myself too is I select friends based on how open I believe or think that they are or aren't. Mm -hmm. And so I don't allow anybody in my close circle, even if they are heterosexual, if I don't think they're really open um, and have a growth mindset, I'm probably not going to let you close to my circle. I had a, um, a college friend that visited Oakland maybe eight or nine months ago. And she called me up and she says, hey, Tremaine, I'm in town for a conference. Uh, and she was like, I want to see you. Like, I was like, oh, great. I said, where are you? I told her how to get over to Oakland. I said, I'll pick you up from this location. I'll bring you over to my house. Um, and so on the way over, I just said, hey, I want to just let you know, you may, I don't know if you figured this out or not, but I need to let you know that I'm gay. I have a partner. But I knew that she was open. She lives in New York. Mm -hmm. We've been friends right. since college, but we never really mm -hmm. talked about it. Talked about it. Right. Um, and she was like, oh, okay. And she came over and she was just like, your place is beautiful. And has anybody else from our college been here and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, you know. And so that's, that was, it was our thing. And, and mm -hmm. I've noticed since she said that there was something that triggered me. I was like, oh, you know what? I think I do this thing where most of the people in my circle are similar to her. And they either kind of have a clue, but maybe we haven't just officially had that conversation, but I know they were open. Um, so that's, that's, that's the interesting piece. So, so that, I, I thank you for that. Thank you for, for sharing that in that way. I wanna ask you though, if somebody were to say to you, <clears throat> well, you know it's against, you, you, you know the Bible says that it's wrong. How do you answer that? I mean, so, so let's say well, here's the scenario. You, you tell somebody, you say, look, I, I, need, I want you to know you're getting ready to come over to my house. I want you to know. Well, you know the Bible says that's wrong. So how would you, how do you respond? I think for me, I would, I would acknowledge their thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, I probably would ask them a question and say like, well, do you think of me any different? Do, is, does this lessen your respect for me? Does this like, how, how does what the Bible says um, impact how you... Or your interpretation of what the Bible says. your interpretation of what the Bible says. How does that impact how you are going to respond to me, react to me? Like, it's, are you going to be treating me any different? That's what I need to know. So those, mm -hmm. those are the questions that I need answers to. Because if so, then I would, I, I'm just, I don't, then I don't need that. And I'm, I'm clear about that. And I actually had a, a really good friend of mine who he didn't respond in the way that you said. He said to me, his words were, I don't, I don't understand it or it's not right, but, but that doesn't have any impact on how I see you is, is, is how he said it. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's, that's great. That's, that's fine. We can differ um, as long as you don't treat me in a, in a way um, or, or verbally, because if, if, even if you treated me fine, but then I noticed that you treated other gay people in bad, I can't deal with that either. Like that's mm -hmm. just, that's, that's not good. Um, mm -hmm. so luckily I've never seen him treat any gay person in a lesser way. So, so we've been fine. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that, that, that's, uh, thank you, thank you. I, I think that um, being able to allow other people to be who they are and have their beliefs that may be different from yours and make it be about the respect that you give to me. Absolutely, that's, that's it. Uh, it's interesting, so even with this, um, this social <laughs> injustice uh, that's been elevated, I want to say a, a month ago, I was in facilitating a course to a group and a person asked in the meeting, the person's question was, well, I'm not out riding, I'm not out picketing, I'm not out walking. This person was Caucasian and the person said like, is that okay? Should I be upset that I'm not out doing that? Like, I'm not doing walks. I don't believe, he's like, I don't believe in this, um, but I'm not out doing those walks. I'm not out doing this. And so I said, no, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be upset that you're not out walking and you're not out this. And I know you're saying you believe in Black Lives Matter and you don't support, you know, racism and discrimination, but your story is what it is. And you shouldn't be offended by what your story is or your way of life is. I said, but, I think you should have an issue if you're out, um, you know, spending your, maybe donating $200,000 to a campaign that oppresses people who look like me and this. I said, that that's, you should not be proud about that. And that's the way that I respond. And I think he got it, right? Yeah, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, be out with, the, with picketing and protesting, but find a way, right? What, what, is, what is your approach and your way of, demonstrating anti-racism, demonstrating right. that you're an anti-racist. What, what right. can you do? Everybody's not going to be able to do the same thing. Yeah. But this has been, this has been really um, wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you know, your perspectives. And I think that this um, will be helpful for a lot of people who are probably dealing with um, the black fatigue that comes from multiple identities. So the identities it, you know, it might be sexual orientation. Um, it might be that somebody has a physical disability. It might be socioeconomic. It could be a lot of different things that you're, that you're compounding. I'm black and, and we all are. We all have um, many uh, intersecting identities. And some of those other identities may also be stigmatized identities. Yes. So dealing with just the one, I'm black, the two, I'm a, for me, I'm a black woman, you know, um, and so all of those come, uh, begin to come together and compound our fatigue. So what you've helped our listeners uh, to, to um, learn and, and to understand is that once you become very comfortable with who you are, yeah. That's it. fatigue goes away. Yes. Go away completely. Yes but it's much less yes. than, than when you um, perhaps are carrying some internalized oppression where you are believing, internalizing some of the stereotypes and some of the negative stereotypes about your identity. Yes. That exacerbates the black fatigue. And so Tremaine Best, thank you so much for helping our listeners recognize that it really is all about 
becoming and learning to become comfortable with who you are. I appreciate you being on the show. And if, um, I don't know if, if somebody wanted to um, give you a shout out, um, where can they find you? LinkedIn maybe? Absolutely. Always on LinkedIn. I have a few articles um, in this space on LinkedIn, but just put me up at, on LinkedIn, Tremaine, T-R-E-M-A-Y-N-E, uh, dash best, B-E-S-S, LinkedIn. Thank you I'm so much. Be, be well, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. Thank you for listening to this My Black Fatigue series on the Inclusion Solution Live. If you would like to share your comments and personal stories based on the series, use hashtag MyBlackFatigue on social media. And for podcast updates as well as resources, follow us at The Winters Group. Black Fatigue, How Racism Erodes the Mind, Body, and Spirit is now available on Amazon, Bookshop, IndieBound, Barrett Kohler, and Barnes & Noble.